Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we again thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. And that even in a passage that like this one might be familiar to many of us, that you speak things that if we were just looking into the world and living life apart from your voice, we would not know your heart and your desire and what you uh, wish for us and what you have done for us in and through Jesus. And so would you uh, help us by your spirit this morning to see what you are speaking to us and over us in Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. So I just said this is a a familiar passage. It's a a beloved one in our family. Uh, Since my kids were born, uh, basically every night that I put them to bed, I speak these words over them. Uh, If you've been coming to Trinity for any period of time, uh, you'll know that at the end of a service, Jeff or I often raise our hands and give a benediction, and this is one of them that we often use. It's an amazing passage for so many reasons, uh, but I think one of the chief reasons is because it speaks so clearly to what really all people need and desire, that we long to be blessed and that we need to be blessed. And so I thought it would be good for us this morning, uh, the day after Christmas, because I think we're in a season where perhaps we feel an awareness of our longing for blessing, maybe even more than any other time of the year, where where we long to have fullness of life and goodness sort of flood our lives. And I really hope that you had just a fantastic Christmas, but I know that this season can also be a hard time. Uh, Perhaps this was a season for you that you had a plan for how it was going to be amazing, whether with family or kids or friends or whatever, and something just got messed up, something fell through, and so it didn't turn out the way you wanted. Maybe you gathered with family and you had the experience of, I love my family, but there are parts of my family that are really hard and I wish it wasn't this way. Uh, Maybe you had the most amazing Christmas you've ever had, but the reality is, is that either in a couple days or in a week, you're going to go back to school or you're going to go back to work, and the joy is just like starting to drain out of you, even as I remind you of that, unfortunately. Um, Perhaps, I'm sure for some of us, this season is hard because it reminds us perhaps of what we've lost or what we maybe never had. Um, Some of us, we've lost someone that we care deeply about, and this is one of those times of year where we feel that more deeply perhaps than others. And some of us, maybe we were a person who wanted a certain kind of life, whether that was being married or having kids or something else, and this is a time of year where we feel the loss of that not being our life. Wherever we are, what I want you to hear from number six this morning is the amazing news that God wants to bless you. So look at this text with me. I want to consider this theme of blessing and we're going to ask four questions about blessing. So the four questions are blessing, what is it? Where does it come from? How do we receive it? And what difference does it make? I want to take these first two together, blessing, what is it? And where does it come from? 
So this Hebrew word uh, that's used in our passage, bless, barak, three times, it means to be empowered or favored. And as it's used here in the verb form with God as the subject, it carries the sense of God's initiating or affecting of favor, of goodness, of abundance. And it's not a mere wish. God affects or empowers with favor the object of his blessing. His, his words affect something in the relationship with the person that he is blessing. His words empower with favor the person or persons being blessed. We see this on the first page of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1 when God creates humanity in his image and likeness and the text tells us, and God blessed them. Human beings are empowered with his favor and they're sent out to fill the earth and multiply. And this is where we see really from the beginning, this is what human beings were made to know and experience. We also see in Numbers chapter 6 where the blessing comes from, which you probably can already answer that question. This blessing comes from God, but look at how the text itself emphasizes this. Verse 22 the passage begins with God coming to Moses and initiating this. This whole thing is God's idea. God is determined to bless his people. In each verse, in verses 24 through 26, the actual blessing repeats God's name, reminding us where the blessing comes from. Let's look, let's look at these details of the blessing, verses 24 through 26. You'll notice three poetic lines, uh, or three poetic verses, and each has the Lord as the subject, followed by two verbs. And in this sort of Hebrew poetic style, the, the second part of the verse explains, or it develops, or it expands what's said in the first part. So look at verse 24. The Lord bless you. The Lord show you his favor. How? Or in what way? by keeping you. Here, we could say, is the blessing of security. Psalm 121 picks up this very part of number six and develops it. And what you get is this picture of the absolute comprehensive keeping work of God, that he keeps his people as they go out, as they come in. He keeps them from all evil. He keeps them right now, and he keeps them forever. And if you think about our lives, our lives, our existence is incredibly vulnerable, right? Disease, disability, failure, sabotage, aging. In so many ways, our existence is fragile. And each of us needs security. Each of us seeks security in something. And so think, what is it that you look to to give you a sense of, I am secure, my life is kept. Where do you go to feel protected? Verse 25, the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. We can probably all think of moments in our life where someone's face has beamed with joy. And so you might think, I don't know, maybe yesterday a family member or a child opened a gift and there was just this like 
beaming joy of excitement or think about the last time you went to a wedding and you watched the bride and the groom as they stood on the altar and they looked at each other as they were, as they were giving their vows and they became husband and wife. Each of us knows the experience of longing for and sometimes even receiving the face and voice of approval from some authority figure some person that we hold in high esteem. Maybe it was like a coach as you were growing up, or a teacher, a professor, a parent, a trusted friend, a spouse. Someone who looks at you with the gaze of love and welcomes you in with a loving smile of approval. Here we could say is the blessing of loving approval. We long for people, we long for authority figures to look on us and smile. Notice the second part of, of this verse, and be gracious to you. Here's the blessing. The Lord look at you with his smiling face and show you favor in the midst of not deserving it. In fact, often in the midst of the opposite, in the midst of demerit, look on me with your love, with your favor, with your smiling face. This is picked up again and again in the Psalms, but one place, Psalm 80, the writer pleads with God to restore the people, to cause them to turn back to the Lord, and he makes this request, make your face shine on us, only then will we be saved. Basically, everyone you know longs for loving approval. We all know this, but there's something I think even particularly true as we feel the sense of brokenness or sin or shame or guilt. There's this sense in that particular place we long for someone to look at us with a gaze of love, of welcome, of embrace. Think about your life. Where do you look? For that face, especially in the places of life that feel messed up, that feel broken, that don't feel the way they're supposed to be, whose face do you look to to smile upon you and to assure you that everything is going to be okay? Verse 26, the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. The idea of turning the face toward is for the Lord to give his attention, to look on you with his eyes to do you good. And specifically in this verse, to give you peace. I can't resist telling this little part of the story when I would say this for basically the last two years to my daughter Abby. The Lord uh, look at you and give you peace. She would say, peace? Like peace of sandwich? Uh, every time it just got me. But uh, what kind of peace are we talking about here? Uh, peace, it's not a piece of sandwich, uh, but it's also not peace in the sense of just absence of conflict, which is how, our, how we use the word peace mostly in English. When we talk about two nations being at peace with each other, we just mean they're not fighting right now. But the word here is shalom, and it is an incredibly rich idea in the Bible. Listen to one theologian's definition of peace. Shalom is the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. 
it means universal flourishing, a rich state of affairs in which needs are satisfied and gifts are fruitfully employed, a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as our Creator and Savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom He delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. The one word that I've tried to use to communicate this idea of shalom to our kids is wholeness. Everything the way it's supposed to be. Every part of your life, every part of the lives of others, whole, healed, flourishing, the way we were meant to know God and love others, wholeness. Think about your life. Where do you look for wholeness? Where do you think this kind of wholeness can even come from? I mean, this, this blessing, when you think about it, right, who alone but God could actually do this? Think about what we've talked about so, so far. I mean, it is good to be wise and thoughtful with your resources, with your wealth, but there is no savings account and there is no stock portfolio that will ever give you this kind of security. It's good for us to be, you know, to pursue wholeness in our lives and and to seek that relationally and with our own selves and with our bodies. But there is no amount of diet and exercise. There is no amount of building relationships. There's no amount of counseling or therapy that you could do that would web together all of creation in perfect harmony. This blessing must come from God. But how do we and can we actually receive it? Because maybe... If you know yourself well, you know that you have a tendency to move away from this God. That you struggle to look to God for this blessing that you really need. And if you were to read the book of Numbers, you would see in the story of Israel the same thing. That Israel's story is a story of turning away from this God who desires to bless them. So in, in the book of Numbers, they, they, they complain and they, they resist and they reject their leaders that God has given them. They complain some more. They grumble. Uh, these are people who have seen the Red Sea parted. They have seen miraculous things in the wilderness. And at one point in the book, they try to go back to Egypt. If you know the story, they, they say, Let's go back to Egypt because at least the food was good there. They want to go back to slavery. They think it's better to be a slave than having to trust and follow this God. They doubt his goodness and his faithfulness. They question his love. And yet this God wants to bless. And if we're honest, humanity, we, just like Israel, have this tendency to move away from God and to trust in anything and anyone else. And where this ends up in the story of Israel is not receiving God's blessing, but receiving his curse. Curse in the Bible being the flip, the opposite of blessing. And at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 28, verse 15, through the end of the chapter, it's 54 verses long, God tells the people, he warns the people what will happen if they turn away from him. He tells them in excruciating detail of what this curse will look like. 
when I was a, a campus minister before coming here with RUF, every semester we would do these training retreats with our students, and they would start on a Friday night, and they would go par- fr- Friday night and then all day Saturday, so we could pack in about 12 hours of training with our student and student leaders. And one track that I led a number of times was called Bible Survey. And so for 12 hours, we basically went from Genesis to Revelation, and we looked at the whole story of the Bible, and we obviously didn't read everything, but we read a ton of scripture and tried to help help our students appreciate how the whole Bible is this one big story that only makes sense in light of Jesus and is all pointing to him. And there are a few parts of that class uh, that were so impactful, and one of those was this section when we got to the end of the book of Deuteronomy and it was right before a break when we would go and have coffee and you know use the bathroom and that sort of thing and we would read Deuteronomy chapter 28 the whole thing these verses that unpack what's going to happen when the people turn away from God and I'm I'm not going to read all of it to you don't worry but you might go home and read it yourself sometime it is incredibly chilling and disturbing The result of seeking blessing and life in something other than God, in some other God, is going to bring the curse of destruction and devastation to every part of their life. God tells them, you are going to be confused, and you're going to be frustrated, and you're going to be sick, and you're going to experience drought and famine, and you're going to lose your home, and you're going to lose your meaningful work, and you're going to lose your spouse, and you're going to lose your children. And there are parts of the curse that I won't even try to describe because they're so awful, I don't feel comfortable speaking them from up here. But God says, every good thing you're going to lose, your land and your cities, and you're going to be scattered among the nations, and there you're going to serve those idols of the nations. And in the morning, you're going to wake up and you're going to long that it's going to be evening. And in the evening, you're going to say, why can't it be morning? And some of you are going to end up back in Egypt and you're going to try to sell yourself into slavery because you have literally nothing else, but there's going to be no one to buy you. And you're going to be utterly, utterly alone. And we would read through this and then I would say, okay, let's take a break. And there was, as you can imagine, just this like heaviness as everyone's walking out of the room. Don't think weird of me. This is one of my favorite points of the class, not because of this moment, but because in one of our very last sessions, we get to the New Testament and we get to the book of Galatians. And we read this in Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Listen to these words. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. I mean, maybe even now as you're hearing that, a verse that perhaps you've heard before is all of a sudden packed with meaning and color because the gospel tells us that though we deserve the curse, though we have turned away and sought blessing in pretty much everything and everyone else, God in Jesus has absorbed the consequences of the curse, taking the curse to himself. When Jesus is crucified, when he's hung up on the cross, he experiences the exact opposite 
of number six. Think about it. He experiences the curse, not the blessing. Instead of being kept and protected, he is exposed and forsaken and given over. Instead of loving approval, he experiences God's fierce anger against all sin and evil. Instead of shalom, right, the webbing together of all creation and life and beauty and wholeness, he is stripped, unjustly beaten, mocked, tortured. He experiences all that is not the way it is supposed to be, the very antithesis of shalom. And this is how committed God is to blessing you. Jesus took the curse that by faith in him, by trust in him, we might receive the blessing that we so desperately need purely by his grace. What difference should that make? What difference should that make in our lives? I'm going to use an illustration from American Idol. This is from a book called Union with Christ. It's great. Um, American Idol, hugely popular show. I don't know if it's still, you know, the most popular show. There's so many singing shows out there now, but it's been on for 20 years. It started in 2002 when I was a sophomore in high school. And a friend of mine, I remember in high school, went and tried to, uh, you know, try out for it. And they had tryouts all over the country. I don't know if this is how they still do it, but he went to the one, obviously, in Chicago. And so he stood in line for hours for hours to get his, whatever, 30 seconds in front of some panel to try out. And he didn't, he didn't even get past the first, the first uh, try. And you know, if you've seen the show, that any small mistake, you know, any slightly off-pitch uh, note, anything, and you're gone. It is performance after performance after performance after performance after performance, hoping that you might just make it. But when someone finally wins, there's this moment where they come out and they sing. But they sing not as someone who is trying to win anything, but as someone who has won. There is nothing left to prove. There is nothing to be anxious about. They come out and sing for the joy that they've actually won. And this is the difference that the gospel is supposed to make. This is the difference that the gospel is supposed to make in us. This is what the Christian life is because in Christ you have the blessing. In Christ you have abundant life. God looks at you and is pleased with you. You have peace in Christ. And so I want you to imagine the difference of living life in a sense where you are just trying to work your way up to that blessing of getting the blessing, of holding on to the blessing, of making sure you don't lose the blessing versus a life where you have it. You can live your entire life striving after blessing, trying to get your life secure, but you're always going to feel vulnerable and it's always going to feel like you can lose it any minute. You can live life trying to get approval and the things of this world, but it will never be enough and you will be haunted every day of your existence by the fact that it can be taken from you and those faces can turn so quickly. You can live seeking to make your, whole, your life whole 
But even if you get even like a microscopic wholeness in some aspect of your life, it will be short-lived and you can also lose that. Or you can live in freedom. Many of us here this morning, I know, are, we're Christians and we have this blessing. We have this freedom. But honestly, don't we live with a sort of like redemptive amnesia where we've forgotten what we have in Jesus. We've forgotten what God has done for us in Christ, where blessing truly comes from, and so we still live kind of like blessing comes from us. And so we at times feel very anxious, and at times we get angry, and at times we find ourselves being selfish and greedy, and we find ourselves being fearful and confused. We need to be reminded which is one of the reasons why we do a benediction at the end of the service. I hope maybe for at least the next two months, as the benediction is happening, not that I think any of you do this normally, but you, you don't like nod off during the benediction, but it is a real sense of, I am receiving God's blessing. Because when a minister raises his hands over the congregation and pronounces this blessing, it's not like Jeff and I are just saying, hey, hope you have a good week. We'll see you next time. This is, this is God speaking through his minister, through his word. The God who when he speaks, he constructs reality, he orders reality, he affects things. And so it's God saying to you as you leave this place, as you head back into the world, I am committed to you. I am committed to bless you. Your sinfulness is no match for my abundant grace. I'm not distracted in the least. And so go out and live in that freedom and serve and love and hope and work for my kingdom and proclaim the good news and do all of this knowing that I have you and I will bless you. Isn't that amazing? I want us to turn to a time of prayer as we always do. But let me give a, a few things that you might think to pray about. I want to encourage you to take time perhaps to confess to the Lord and to repent. To repent maybe of ways that you and I don't believe how good the good news is. Repent perhaps for ways in which in our community, in our family, in our relationships, and in our friendships, we revert back and we even encourage others that we influence in our families to live like they don't have security, they don't have approval, they don't have wholeness. Let's do that, and I'll give us a few moments to do that, and then I will close us in prayer.